Listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and today I have for you a mailbag episode with all your questions asked that have been collected over the past, you know, two weeks or so. Um, that way, you have something to listen to this weekend as you get ready for your Christmas and everything else. And hopefully, you know, maybe tomorrow we'll have a preview show as well for this weekend's games too. Um, just kind of depending on you know what we're able to do and not do with you know, families and everything else. So the the first thing I want to talk about, though, is the Texans winning a game against the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. We were fortunate to have Jordan DeLugo on the podcast to talk about that game. And we talked more about Jacksonville in general than the Texans-Jaguars game, just because, you know, it's an AFC South team. I like the Jaguars. They're pretty fun. Um, they've been extremely stupid for the last five years and have lucked into a generational quarterback talent. And they've so far done a poor job of you know, doing anything at all for him to make his life easier. And you know, there's been some concerns and kind of some rumblings about being worried about Lawrence with Davis Mills being the second best rookie quarterback this year and even you know, Mills out playing last week. And you know, I'm not all that concerned about Lawrence. Their, their offensive line's below average. It's been kind of heartbreaking to see Juwan Taylor just be as lazy as he's been this year with his hands being as poor as they've been this year. And it just doesn't seem like he doesn't even want to play football at all at the moment. Um, you know, Norwell is still pretty bad. Barch has been kind of similar to him. And, you know, Linder is hurt for an extended period of time this year. And Cam Robinson's been, you know, mediocre, but has really kind of turned on the last month of the season as he gets ready for his free agency too. But they also don't have any receivers as well. You Sam, uh, Dan, Dan Arnold, I don't know. Sam Darnold, Dan Arnold. Dan Arnold's hurt right now. Their number one receiver, their ex receiver is Marvin Jones, and Marvin Jones makes a couple can make like a couple of spectacular catches a year, but he's not going to carry a passing offense at all. And you know, behind him is Lavishka Chenault. He's more of a Cordero Patterson type of running back than an actual wide receiver who can you know, run the entire gauntlet of the route tree. Like you never see him attack the field, you know, de- deep at all. It's all screen passes and, and short you know short patterns for him or he can get stuff after the catch. And their number two wide receiver now is his former first-round bust, Laquan Treadwell. I'm like, he's fine, I guess. Uh, but you want him to be like your fourth wide receiver on your team, not your second wide receiver. And then there's also some Tavon Austin littered in there as well, too, in their, in their sparkly lure box. And so between that and then also the offensive play calling being as bad as it's been with you know the only interesting thing they've done at all is kind of turn Lawrence into a zone read quarterback and that worked in Cincinnati and has kind of flamed out since then. And so I think the the setting around him has just been so bad that I'm not really all that concerned about Lawrence, you know, moving forward. And you know, throughout the year too, he's made some you know, sublime throws um at the same time. But like this past week though against Houston, the Texans did a good job mixing their pass coverages up. They played cover four, they played cover three, they played cover four with a robber with Eric Murray there, take away the intermediate deep middle routes. They did a good job showing cover one at the line of scrimmage with the blitz and rolling to cover two. Um, they finally defended the bootleg out of cover one. 
And there's just a lot of plays where Lawrence didn't have much available to him. And the Texans' pass rush wasn't very good either, but you just have Lawrence holding onto the ball, looking, and being unable to find anything, which is surprising for a team with you know, the lack of uh, cornerback talent they have right now, especially with Jimmy Owens being the deep middle you know, center fielder. And the Texans didn't really stress him at all either, which is one of the strange things. But it just continues with the problems that the Jaguars' offensive coaching staff have had to coach any sort of competent offense. And, you know, they fell behind and it was rainy. And so they weren't able to really rely on James Robinson to carry him as much too in this one, um, even though they had some big rushing lanes, especially with, you know, Garrett Wallow being very easy to block at the second level, the Texans being without, you know, Jonathan Grenard on the edge. And it's easy to run at, it's easy to run at Derek Rivers and, John, and Jacob Martin for that matter too. Um, but like, you know, it's been interesting with Levy Smith this year just because he's gone from being a cover two heavy defensive coordinator, which is kind of like ridiculous in general for a team in the NFL right now, right now just be like cover two, Tampa two heavy without front four pass rush. And then they also without the, the linebacker play to really kind of cover the deep middle of the field too. And it didn't work. You know, they were thrown out of it. There's plenty of holes in the zone coverage throughout the season. And since then, like Levy has changed the defense entirely. They've gone to playing, you know, more man coverage and blitzing. They're more of a cover three team to help stop the run too. And now they've introduced more quarters and more kind of blitzes as well in the A gaps. And they run like an actual NFL defense now. It's not just, you know, cover two, Tampa two, and they get, get eaten up by, you know, crossing routes and, and smash concepts uh, this year. And so that brings us to our first question from at Jag Jeep. He asks, is there any chance that next year's coach, if not David Coley, retains Lovey Smith? And like, I thought Lovey Smith hiring was kind of glossed over this year and felt it was kind of a very silly, for, silly thing for the Texans to do. But one of the things that the Texans have done this year is they've just have kind of added on to their defense. But that being said, it's just very rare for a team to keep an offensive or defensive coordinator after they change coaching staffs. And you see occasionally if the owner has a, a coordinator that he really likes, that's usually younger, um, to kind of keep them on year to year. You know, we saw like Kellen Moore in Dallas. We saw this past year with Tim Kelly. And you know, the Tim Kelly thing hasn't worked you know, well at all this season either. But like an older, you know, head co- an older defensive coordinator like Lovey Smith, I really couldn't see him sticking around if they were to fire David Coley, unless Nick Casario just makes it you know, a hard stance that he has that, you know, if I bring in this guy to try to uh, build the team along with the Texans with, instead of just have a coach like Coley, who's here to lay down a cultural foundation to create, you know, some idea of stability to build, build off of going forward. They go with the new head coach, who's a little bit younger or whatever, that can kind of rebuild the Texans along with it. I just don't really think Levy Smith would stay here unless, like I just said, Casario just absolutely loves him for whatever reason. And I don't think his performance this year has warranted it. And like a lot of things I'm saying about him are the nice job that they've done recently. Like it's basic level, you know, stuff. Like none of it's been, you know, too complicated. It's just like disguising coverages run more than, you know, one set of coverage schemes. Um, run, you know, show a gap pressure. Like these are whenever you don't have a pass rush that's very good at the front four. Like these are very basic stuff. And so, so much the problem with the Texans this year is they just took them a long time to figure out how to do the bare minimum. And I don't know how much of it is just because the amount of turnover they've had this year. They added a bunch of new players, and it took them a while to figure out what they're good at, what they're not good at, um, and to change their entire you know, defense around along with their coverage schemes to try to find some sort of equilibrium 
I mean, that's the nicest way to put it, but I think a lot of it also was just an oversimplification, not having the talent to run what they wanted to run, and then just being up against the wall where they had to do something differently. But you know, that being said, I don't really think we'll, we'll live in a world where Levy Smith is retained at the defensive coordinator spot if the Texans do fire David Coley after the season. Uh, and then offensively with Houston this past week, it was a game where Davis Mills was you know better and it helps playing a bad and stupid Jaguars defense. And I do think that one thing that the Texans did this week they haven't done previously is they actually did a pretty good job at picking up the blitz. And the, Jack- the Jacksonville Jaguars run like a, a poor version of the Ravens scheme where they you know, show blitzes, they run a lot of simulate pressures, um, guys that arrive aren't really shown arriving at the pre-snap. They drop in, they drop guys into coverage that you're not expecting to drop into coverage. And they did a lot of that. And the Texans this week, like noticeably at the line of scrimmage, there's a lot more communication. You see you guys pointing where they're blocking at. Um, you see Davis Mills orchestrating the pass protection at the line of scrimmage actually this time. There's just a lot more communication involved in that regard. And again, like it's a bare minimum thing that you kind of expect to see. Um, and they actually picked up the blitz pretty well this week. The only time I saw him miss a blitz assignment was Max Sharping got kind of got by sliding to the B gap. And then Justin Brett was already you know, tangled up with the A gap defender. And then they sent uh, a blitzer through the same A gap after the big space, after you know, Max Sharping, you know, really went over to help out Charlie Heck, who was helping him out to make sure they send that B gap guy. And they just sent two guys through the same gap, which is just something harder for teams to deal with. But also Rex Burkhead was really great in pass protection this week. He did a good job sliding from one side of the formation to the other. And, you know, like there's a lot of jokes about Burkhead, but it being his team now and him being the main running back for a team in 2021 is ridiculous. And it is, but he's at least like a good pass protector and is so much better than David Johnson in that regard too. And like Johnson's past week was like the oldest and slowest I've ever seen him. And he's been old and slow for three seasons now. But the blitz being picked up, Davis Mills did a good job reading the defensive shells pre-snap, um, reading the safety, and then kind of picking up the coverage after that and throwing off from there. He threw like a good like quick out route against cover three. Um, they, of course, ran that slip up the seam with Brandon Cooks to counter break all those sprint right out routes that they run. They hit the tunnel screen touchdown Brandon Cooks at the end of the game. He found the hook pretty well against, uh, against quarters to find those gaps, the Back foot throw against the blitz to Philip Dorsett and one versus one coverage was the best throw he's made so far in his career. And he was just better. I mean, there were still misses. You know, the interception to Ankins was him guessing uh, on cover seven where Tyson Campbell squatted instead of, you know, continue to cover the deep vertical after the wide receiver ran a drag route. And like that was a miss on his end. Aikens didn't do a very good job, like attacking the football and boxing out either to make that interception easier. And he also missed that Yankee concept you know, deep crosser to Brand Cooks where you have Damian Wilson try to undercut a corner route or a post route, which didn't work out very well. And then he also, you know, threw the deep post to Cooks that Campbell was able to undercut after his passed off in cover three instead of just taking the easier throw to Nico Collins underneath. And so, I mean, like all in all, like it was, it was fine against a, a pretty stupid defense and team, but it still comes out to, you know, 200 yards, two touchdowns and interception. But it's just kind of funny with, you know, how the team has been that any little bit, you know, kind of gleam of, you know, progress or improvement is celebrated in such a high regard because everybody's just looking for like a little bit of something to, you know, enjoy and be happy about this football team after how dark and bleak everything has been 
this season whenever it comes to just the on-field stuff, let alone all the cacophony off the field as well, too. And like I, I will say, like I don't think Mills is good. I don't think he's going to be good. I think he's a backup quarterback, which is fine Like for a third-round pick. Um, and that's what you're kind of like wanting to have is like a developmental quarterback who may be a backup that you know you could maybe able to flip somewhere else or even then just retain as you you know, do your quarterback battle search for the future and maybe like he morphs into like the 24th best starter in football or the 20th best starter in football as like a ceiling goes but I still see him as a backup. But that being said, like I do, I have admired how much better he's gotten like week to week and you know he went from unplayable and the Texans were unwatchable during his first starting string of games against Buffalo, against Los Angeles, um, against Carolina, you know, where you couldn't even watch the football team at all when they're running the most basic offense that you'd see that you couldn't even really call an offense for that matter to, you know, what he is today. And like, it's fine. Like it's, I mean, I guess it's not fine. It's still like fairly bad, but at least there's something that's like a little bit better there instead of, you know, kind of nothing at all um, that we saw earlier this season. And it's one of those things with young quarterbacks and new young players in general, they tend to get better, you know? And with Mills, he has progressed, you know, week in, week out. You know, his footwork looks better. His accuracy has been a little bit better. His arm looks, looks stronger than it looked at Stanford. Uh, his best skill is holding on to the ball and not being afraid of the blitz and escaping the pocket too easily, which is something that's hard for a quarterback to do, let alone a young quarterback. I do think that's his best skill, but... He did look better this past week than he has in previous weeks too. And so it's been, I know somebody who's watched every single you know, snap of the All-22 this year and has watched all the coaches film of it. You know, it's been, I guess, kind of fun to watch Mills progress and go from, you know, one of the worst quarterbacks in the league to like, I guess like a bomb third quarterback in the league, which isn't the worst thing in the world for a third round pick who is a rookie quarterback. And so that brings us to this question from at Confused Lefty. Are we being too harsh on Davis Mills? His stats aren't terrible, and he has a very poor offensive line with no run game to help him. I don't think it's necessarily being too harsh, but it's like, I guess it's more, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess it's more being harsh on, yeah, probably so, more harsh on Mills, but I guess the biggest thing was the organization, you know, by celebrating the way they did when they made the pick, not having a backup quarterback in place for Mills, but which put him out there, you know, way before he was ready to be out there, which is expected with, an injury-prone, you know, 32-year-old quarterback being out there who was bad last year in Los Angeles in the one half of football that he played too. And so with Mills this season, you know, he doesn't have a run game at all. I think the pass protection this year has been, you know, pretty good this year. It was good last week with Ty Howard left guard, Jaron Christian at left tackle, Sharping back at right guard, um, Charlie Heck at right tackle, and Britt at center. And the pass protection really has been the issue. But yeah, I mean, the run game, it's one of the worst run games of all time. Uh, it's the worst run offense in football right now. And it's a run offense, or it's a team that wanted to be built around the run game to set up easier, more manageable third down situations. And like that game last week against Jacksonville, the run game was bad. Like they only averaged 2.9 yards a carry. But the one thing they did okay at last week was that they didn't give a bunch of tackles for a loss and forced them into like second 11 and third and nine. They instead saw a lot of second and sevens and third and four, third and threes, which is a lot you know, different than whenever you get a hole in negative plays. And that was the one thing I don't think Jacksonville did a very good job of at all. But my point with Mills, though, it's just like going into the future, I don't think there's much here that you can extrapolate with as saying that this shows why he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Like, I just don't, I just don't see it all. And it's, you know, it's an inaccuracy. 
It's the lack of athleticism. It's he hasn't pushed the ball downfield at all, which is some something to do with the offensive scheme as well. Um, some of the decision making stuff is wonky. You know, he takes a lot of bad hits too. And then again, like they're just not scoring a lot of points. They haven't won. They won one game with him. And, uh, and like the statistics there aren't very good as well either. Even though you know, there has been a little bit of problem with the context too. And I'm just kind of worried that next year they may go and get like a backup quarterback along the lines of, you know, Jeff Driscoll or Ryan Finley and kind of give you know, Mills a starting job and not take a younger quarterback in this year's draft. And we watch like 12, 14 games to Davis Mills and we're kind of stuck with, you know, a five or six win season again. Um, but I'd rather them at least try to do something, like try to put more of an effort into the quarterback position next year instead of just being like, we like what we saw at Mills. We're good with this for next year. And instead of like using this as another year to be able to try to find something in the quarterback position, because again, I just don't see with Mills being anything more than a backup quarterback. Um, our next question here is from at J4ML1N. And Jamie asks, on a scale of Aaron Colvin to Brennan Scarlett, how much would Aiden Hutchinson save the Texans franchise? I, haven't, I still haven't watched the college football stuff yet. Um, I'm really excited to, to watch that after the NFL playoffs are over and be able to sit down and kind of watch more of this draft stuff here for it. But I mean, like some of the clips I've seen, like it's, it's outrageous. You know, like he looks like TJ Watt this past season um, with just like a, a long complexity, uh, you know, pass rush moves, his ability to go from speed to power, his long arm, uh, the fact that he can like spin, rip, and have an edge rush. Like he's a complete pass rusher from what I've seen. And so I'm excited to watch more of them. I think kind of the question though for Houston is that like, do you want to run a 3 4 4 3 next year? How much of a consideration if David Coley stays? Do you put Levy Smith's defense into it? Do you want to find guys for Levy Smith scheme that he can coach up to, to mold as he wants in that spot? Um, and that's kind of the strange part about it. I think I would want to see Hutchinson playing a 3 4. And I think if you draft a 4 3, it seems like Thibodeau is more that guy there too. But I mean, the biggest thing about the Texans defense this year is that they just lack playmakers, you know? They just lack like actual really disruptive talent. And they've been aided by the number of turnovers they forced, which was expected this year after how little they forced the year before. It was just you know, the typical regression that we see from numbers. But just they lack impact players. If you look at their front seven, you know, John Grenard can be the third best player on a, on a front seven. He's going to be like the next Whitney Merciless for them. But aside from that, like, they don't have like a cornerstone defender. They don't have a true impact player like Cam McGregor Hill has made a lot of tackles, and he's like a complimentary player who you know, wins with his mind and everything, but he's not somebody you lock down for five years and are going to build a defense around it all. And so they lack like a true talent like that, both at the front seven, both back in the secondary two. And so it's kind of choosing picks like where they end up landing and then what they want to build their team, their defense around from that. Because they just have a lot of guys, you know, it's a lot of, you know, below average mediocre players. And They've forced enough turnovers to be able to survive at times this year. Um, but yeah, they lack a true impact player. And Hutchison lo- looks exactly like that. So I think the scale for Aaron, Aaron Colvin to Brent Scarlett would be more of a, a scale of sadness. And this would be a sad thing drafting uh, Hutchison. So I'm going I'm to say it's uh, above Brent Scarlett. I'm going to say it's... Um, this is just such a, a messed up scale. <laughs> I can't... Like, I guess you would say... Like starting Terrence Mitchell at outside cornerback over Lonnie Johnson Jr. is is more on the scale of Brandon Scarlett or Aaron Colvin to Brevin Scarlett. I'm gonna call this like a 
No, I mean, I don't know what's right below J.J. Watt. I'm going to call this like, uh, a, I'm going to give a Jadavion Clowney on the scale instead. Or you can get, you know, a young, you know, impact edge rusher and then have the chance to be able to kind of bridge it to the next thing, even though that necessarily didn't work with the Houston Texans at the time too. So we have two more questions here from my good friend Greg from Down Under who listens to the podcast and has kind of found the Houston Texans, you know, on accident um, from where he's at. And so he said, my question for better minds, what evidence is there to give Texans fans confidence Casario and Easterby can successfully rebuild this roster, even if they achieve a better than expected return for Deshaun Watson? I mean, this is a great question. And, you know, with Casario, like the track record is drafting in New England, you know, it's pretty low. They were able to you know, get some offensive linemen, get some front seven players. But I think all in all, like at the end of the Tom Brady era, one of the problems that they have is they just you know, lost a lot of talent, the skill position uh, part of the team. And they were just lacking kind of talent in general whenever they ended up like having that run that, or their last run was kind of shut down by the Titans that year. And so, and you also never know too with the Belichick thing where you don't know how much he does and how much Casario does. And Vice versa. I know Belichick has said a lot of nice things about Casario that he did, you know, multitude things about him, and they worked really hard to try to keep him there. And they had a contract that prevented him from going to Houston, you know, a year before they wanted him to be there too, and you know everything else that goes along with it. I just don't, I just don't know. And the thing about Casario, the only solace I have in him is that this year's draft class was has been pretty good. You know, Mills is back of quarterback. I think Nico Collins can be maybe the third or fourth best receiver in a, in a good passing offense. He just has problems, you know, coming in out of his breaks. He doesn't really sell the vertical route very well to open up other stuff too. Um, he's not very like, you know, rapid or, or quick or explosive out of his breaks too. And so like a lot of the stuff that's like, you know, out routes and things where you have to get your break quickly after selling the vertical, he just hasn't done very well at. And he also has had problems beating some man coverage where you know, a lot of his receptions this year have come against you know, cover three where he's breaking inside the field and he has a big body and good hands and has shown some kind of speed after the catch. We haven't seen him really kind of use that much on like kind of deeper vertical routes. And even when he has, they haven't really hit. Davis Mills has had a problem throwing them. And he's also dropped, a, I think, two of those passes too. There's a good example of against Seattle whenever he ran like a wheel route up the sideline. Him riding the hands as a catch he should make. And he had 27 yards down the field. He just dropped it. And so I don't know. Like I think there's enough potential there. But I think it's been overblown, like how good he is, how good he is or could be. I think he can play, but how high that level of talent is is what the question is. And I also think he's quarterback dependent too, or he's not going to be able to carry you know bad quarterback play. If he has great quarterback play, I think he'd be like the third or fourth best you know passing option, and that just means like he's a fine. You could be he be, he could become a fine starter if the quarterback play is really good there. Um, and then you know from there. You have Garrett Walla, who played a lot against Jacksonville as a will linebacker, and he's small, he's fast, he can tackle well. He just gets overwhelmed by offensive linemen at the second level and will give up a lot of big runs because of it. I had somebody on Twitter compare him to uh, a healthy Dylan Cole, and I think it's a perfect comparison. Like I think he's kind of like a, a Dylan Cole nickel linebacker sort of type where you can't play him on first and second down, but you can put him there at third down. He can chase, he can cover, he can tackle well. Um, he has a good mind too. He's able to recognize things pretty well too. And so that's a fine pick and he can play special teams, but I don't, I don't see him as being like a every third down starter sort of linebacker at all. 
And then there's Roy Lopez in the sixth round, and he's been you know, a good run defender this year. He really reads his keys well. Like I, You don't really see defensive tackles at his age who are able to recognize steps, know exactly how to redirect, know what leverage, know what hand technique to take to be able to you know, drive guys off the ball and make plays. And like he's good. I, I think the one concern with him is just the, like the limited athleticism where he'll never be like DJ Reader at all or he'll be like a top run defender or anything like that. But I think he can be a solid, you know, interior defensive lineman on a competent run defense. And especially if Houston's able to build up more talent around him uh, on the front side, would be helpful. And he's also had some good bull rushes this year too and long arms to be able to collapse the pocket. And, you know, that's really kind of the key to a team with a good pass rush is that they have an interior pass rusher who can collapse the pocket, force quarterbacks backwards, and open up the door for those edge rushes. And so he may be able to provide you know, some of that too for Houston. And then Brevin Jordan, he's had trouble being man coverage too. He's a lot like Jordan Aikens. Um, he's like here to catch passes. He's good after the catch. We haven't seen him block yet either. And like, I don't know what we have with them too. Like a lot of his, like, a lot of his success has been against zone coverage. It's been times where he's been left wide open. Um, I mean, I just don't know. Like I think there's still a lot more there left open for the door for Brevin Jordan too. And so I think like all in all here with the Texans draft class, I think it's been you know, pretty good considering the limited assets. I still don't know if Nico Collins is worth trading up, but he's been you know fine. Uh, but that's just being kind of more nitpicky than anything. But like, yeah, like it's been all, it's been all right. And I think that's like the one thing that can kind of give you hope for Casario that this was a good draft class considering all the limited resources and what he could do with actual draft capital. You know, will be kind of more exciting to see at the same time of it. But like I still kind of go back to this offseason being as bad as it was, the contract restructures being as stupid as they were, a lot of the signings just being very inconsequential and meaningless despite the horde of them, um, and the amount of dead money they have next year to limit their cap space next season. You know, go out and get young talent. I think it's frustrating. And they're going to have a high level of roster turnover again next year. And after kind of stuff that happened this season with David Coley and everything else and how silly the scheme has been, um, how many players have been out of place, I mean, these guys like Christian Kersey, et cetera, who will have problems probably finding a job next year. I think it may be a little difficult for them to be able to, you know, have the same sort of offseason they had next year, just because I don't know who necessarily would, you know, want to come to Houston and try to use this as a springboard to a better contract, you know? Like, I think they can sign like a lot of like, you know, younger kind of undrafted players and hope they strike gold with some of them, kind of like Tavier Thomas and that sort of thing. But I think overall that he may have some problems next year. So, I guess to answer the question, the draft class is what can give you some hope. Um, everything else, we don't really know. And it's not that I don't think Nick Casario can't be a good general manager. I just don't think he's shown much for Texans fans to you know, like really expect uh, Nick Casario to be a really good general manager just because we haven't seen it yet. And that's kind of, that's kind of the thing about it. It's like until we start seeing it, it's hard to necessarily know what we have. And it's only been year one of him. So We'll have to kind of see how next year goes after he trades Watson once he gets a, a large amount of draft picks and actually some you know top five, top 10 draft picks next year too. So Greg's next question was after, I believe, the, the Seattle game. I don't know. He said it was rough. He said, do you agree a root and branch rebuild of the front office, coaching staff, and rosters require for this team to have any hope? Or is there an incremental path to success? If the former... What will it take Cal McNair and or the other team shareholders to break the emergency glass? Judging by the sparse stadium, this team has lost its fan base. I can't imagine the sponsors are happy. 
yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like the NFL makes so much money that, you know, having people always are going to love football in Texas. I think even though people aren't going to the games necessarily, they're still buying tickets. They're still keeping their season tickets. I think a lot of people are still watching on Sundays, even if the interaction, how much they kind of do the other stuff, like read websites about the team or listen to podcasts about the team or, uh, you know, that part of it, that'll probably come, you know, more so in the off season. I just don't, like, rebuilds can happen fast in the NFL. And I, I mean, this whole season, though, has just been kind of about seeing what they have with their young talent, seeing they can find a couple of, like, competent starters. We weren't expecting their, them to find any sort of cornerstone players just because of the lack of draft capital they've had and then who they signed this past offseason. But seeing they can find a couple of, you know, fine players, role players, that sort of thing, um, the occasional starter. But really, like, the season has all been about what do they get for Deshaun Watson? And if they get, you know, three first-round picks, if they get, you know, two top 10 picks and maybe turn them to the Giants, whatever it ends up being, what they get for Deshaun Watson is really kind of the only thing that matters about this season. And that has to springboard the next good Texans team. If Casario nails the trade, if he nails the draft picks he gets out of it, the Texans could be good by 2023. Um, and if the at latest 2024, if he whiffs on it, if he whiffs on the trade, if he whiffs on the picks, the Texans may not be good until, I don't know, the, the later end of this decade. Like That's kind of what they're facing as quick as you know, rebuilds can be in the NFL. That's really the big blue chip they have to be able to you know, get some assets and be able to kind of spread some talent to the roster that was you know, wasted away by Bill O'Brien after you know, he kind of took over control of the entire team. You know, they're kind of at the end of around like 2017, 2018. And so I, I miss what the season's all about. And so, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be an incremental path to success if they nail it. But I think where the incremental part comes into play is just by, like, finding, like, young talent and taking a wide net to find young talent and looking at little guys from there. Like, I think Tavier Thomas is a great example. Like, it's a guy who is younger, who hasn't had a chance to start at all. Um, Vernon Hargraves was terrible, as we expected. So, forced Desmond King to play outside cornerback. Now, Tavier Thomas is playing slot corner. He hasn't been tested much in the passing game just because of how bad the outside cornerback play has been. So we don't necessarily know if he's a good you know, coverage slot corner yet. I mean, his best pass coverage rep was against Tyler Lockett, defend that slot fag in Seattle. But he's been a good run blocker. He's been, able to jump. He's been a good run tackler. He shuts some blocks. He's forced some fumbles. Um, you know, he's tough. He tackles low. And so there may be something there. Like that may be their version of Nick Needham. And so by just finding guys like that uh, with a wide net cast and kind of like in stranger sort of circumstances to try to like, you know, cover the league as much as possible, find talent. Like that's how you build, you know, kind of that incremental success. So I think what we have here, this like root and branch rebuild, I think the root of it is the Sean Watson trade. And then the incremental parts of it are just going to be the ability to find, you know, that younger talent kind of stranger spots just because there's holes, you know, all throughout the roster. And I don't think it's like um, an emergency, you know, sort of rebuild at all. I think Cal McNair is going to be you know, steady. He's going to give Casario his time. Um, you know, he makes so much money off the team as it is. I don't think he's really worried about the monetary aspect of it. And like, I, and like he's so like under sway with what he has right now. I can't see like them going out and blowing everything up and then making like the big name hire and that sort of thing um, as well either. But again, like it's the Sean Watson that trade hitting that trade hitting the draft picks on that trade hitting the players that you get for Watson. There's any added and then just finding just talent in every way imaginable to kind of fill up the rest of the roster and try to find young guys here that they can build around. Our next question is from at Confused Lefty. 
And he asked, will the Texans win again this season? And he asked us a few weeks, or probably two weeks ago. Um, they have games now against the Chargers, Niners, and Titans. And you know, these are three teams with good defenses. These are you know, a team against San Francisco that can run the ball, which is something the Texans have a lot of problems with. The Chargers finally discovered that Justin Herbert's a really good deep passing quarterback, and they should throw the ball downfield. And it's kind of reverted them into a possible Super Bowl contending sort of team now. And the Times Week 17 have like a, a really murderous front seven. Christian Fulton's healthy. They have Bud Dupree back out there. And then also A.J. Brown, Julio Jones may be back tomorrow, even though they've lost Luan and Southfold for Thursday Night Football. And they should just be healthier by the time Week 18 comes around. They're going to make the playoffs. They're still kind of fine for the AFC South right now at the moment too. But you expect Derrick Henry may be back by then also. And so I'd say no. i say Houston wins three games. Um, I picked him to win four this year. And threes, like, if you picked one, two, three, four, maybe even five, that's kind of what we were expecting this year. Um, but I'm going to say no. I'm going to say they win three. And with the Lions, you're sitting there with two wins. With the Jaguars and with two wins, the Jets with three wins. You know, they're going to pick somewhere between, like, two, three, or four. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that, you know, portion of it plays out, too. So our next question is from at smooth grandmama uh where collie war where collie warring how has he not been good enough to be on this team uh i guess he meant where is collie warring i don't know warring's in the practice squad in buffalo it's a shame he's have to be all bundled up you know hide that beautiful body underneath all those clothes and layers there in buffalo i would love to see warring play like week 18 um you know as like a backup tied in and catch a pass from josh allen after so many bad things have happened this season like the Bills losing, you know, being 0-5 in one-score games, and the Titans getting hurt, and Carson Wentz throwing 52 yards and, and winning football games. Uh, Collie Warren catching a pass from Josh Allen be, like, probably the best thing to happen this season. And the Texans tied in, like, Farrow Brown's been bad since he got hurt. Um, he's had a lot of penalties. He's, draw- he's fumbled the ball. He hasn't been as good of a blocker. Anson Claire is a blocking tight end. He's not a great blocker at all. Um, he's been a little tenacious lately, which is good, but he hasn't been a very good blocker. And then Brevin Jordan's here after the catch, and Aikens wasn't traded the trade deadline, which I don't understand at all. And he's just kind of here whenever Brevin Jordan's hurt or has COVID or whatever else is going on there. So, like, I mean, I don't know. They need to get some, they need to get like one or two more players in that tight end room. And it's a shame Kyle Ward never worked out. It's a shame he was hurt his rookie year. It's a shame you know, Bill Brown was the head coach and doesn't do a good job developing young players. And, um, and you're giving these, these guys a chance to play it all. But hopefully, Kali can you know, make it happen somewhere else and become you know, like a DeAndre Carter or like a Carlos Watkins and something of that mold. His next question was, also, what happened to Ty God? Did East Street lock him up in a prayer closet and get negative 50 accuracy bonus? I mean, yeah, he's been awful since he came back from that hamstring injury. The, you know, the game against the Titans, the two touchdowns he scored were all running the ball. Um, whenever he was... He was benched. That was one of the worst quarterback performances that you'd ever see. And then Davis Mills and him just kind of like copy and pasted the same quarterback performance in that game too. I mean, he, he just wasn't good last year though. It's kind of the biggest thing. Even that half against Los Angeles, he's always been like an inaccurate downfield thrower. Um, you know, he's never been like a, like he can get the ball close to guys downfield, but then you have to have great wide receivers and go up and get it like Brian Cooks did. He's not like a, like a really great quick passing game thrower either. Again, the accuracy is kind of spotty. He kind of he kind of holds on to the ball. He's better making plays happen with his legs. And 
and he's 32, his injury history and everything else, you know, it's been, it's been tough for, you know, Ty God this year. But yeah, I, I agree. I think he hasn't prayed enough. And I think his, uh, his lack of servitude, the Lord is probably why he's fallen off since his hamstring injury as well. So our next question is from at Confused Lefty. He said, not a question, but a statement. I'd like to read out your thoughts. I watched the entire Texans game, but the only thing that made me cheer today was tuning in the last five minutes of the Lions game and seeing them win. There's no bottom. We should all just embrace the tank now. And this question you know, came two weeks ago um, against Seattle. And yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. There's some conversation about if you want to, if you want to watch the Texans lose or not lose in the tank or not tank thing. And I mean, I don't know. I don't really care either way. Um, it's your own individual decision to make. Yeah, I, I rooted for the tank in 2013 just because at the end of the day, it was like Jadavion Clowney sitting there. And now the Texans lose, you know, they're able to fall the top one or two picks. You expect them to be able to take Thibodeau or Hutchinson. And then if you fall outside of that, it's like, do you want to pick a cornerback or a safety, an offensive tackle, or do you want to trade down? That's what it seems like from you know the typical like uh, I don't know draft cultures I guys at the moment. And so I I don't know either way. Like the only correlation between draft success and um, between the only correlation at all between draft success is the spot that you pick at. And so it's better to draft earlier in the draft. It's better to pick first overall than third overall. It's better to pick second overall than fourth overall. Like that's the only consistency at all between teams that draft on or, or player performance is that it's not the high way. It's not any of that. It's just where they're slotted draft at. And that typically guides. And so it's better to draft sooner. And then also if you draft first overall, you get to pick 33rd overall. And it's pretty much another first round pick too with it. And so, I mean, I don't know. Like it's, it's not, it sucks to lose the, to the Jets. You know, it would have been sad to lose the Jaguars just from a morale standpoint, I guess. But at the end of the day, it's all about drafting, you know, higher is better than drafting, you know, lower in the middle of rounds too. And it gives you a little bit more ammo to be able to trade down as well, be able to get like an extra draft pick or two if you were to trade down, you know, drafting at third overall instead of first overall, if that's what they were to go about also. But without like knowing enough about the draft, without having any sort of like great idea about these players yet, um, it's hard to feel like really strongly one way or the other. I just think like, you know, tanking isn't necessarily... Players itself don't tank, but rooting for the tank isn't a bad thing at all. You know, if you want them to lose and get better draft picks, I think it makes complete sense because being three and thirteen, or you know, or three and fourteen, I should say, or two and fifteen, doesn't make that much difference at the end of the day. But it can mean you know three spots in the draft, which makes a bigger difference for the future going forward. It's just whatever you know is in your heart at the moment. But yeah, I mean, rooting for the tank's kind of fun. It's a little bit more fun than I guess like rooting for Davis Mills to. You know, 19 for 41 against the Chargers for, you know, 175 yards and one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, whenever, like, you're hoping them to win, whenever they end up losing, you know, 35 to 17 anyways. So our last three questions today are from at found of HOU Sports. His first one is, how match should be when Tunsil starts? And then Tim Keller thinks, okay, now we can throw the deep ball. <laughs> this is great. And I, you could definitely see it happen where you know, Tim Keller thinks, well, without Tunsil here and without chipping for Tunsil, we can't pass, pro- can't pass protect long enough to be able to run you know, longer developing downfield concepts. And also everything has to be short. We have to run a lot of screens. We have to run the ball a lot just because we can't be able to make those same throws without Tunsil in the lineup. And you know, Tunsil hasn't played. He's not going to play for the rest of the year. He suffered a season-ending injury that's usually a four-week injury. 
Um, I fully expect the Texans to trade him after the season and try to either get a first round pick in 2023 or an early second round pick for 2022. I think Carolina is a good option. I think Jackson was a good option as well too um, to be able to find you know that spot, the left tackle position. And I know I talked to Jordan about it. He didn't expect Carolina to do that just because of the quarterback position. But I still think Carolina, they may think, well, the problem with this past year was that it wasn't Sam Darnold. It was that we didn't give him an offensive line at all. And so I could see them keeping Darnold around for another year, building an offensive line around him, picking up his option, then going from there. Um, and then maybe drafting a quarterback in the first round. They kind of develop behind him if Darnold doesn't work out that year. And at least you have Tunsil, or you have the allure of Tunsil being your left tackle for the future if you have Darnold and, you know, I don't know, Pickens or Corral or whoever you end up drafting, maybe in the third round behind him too. Um, but I'm just very happy that Ty Howard's playing left tackle. I know we didn't see it last week, and that was the best move as far as like the competency of the team. You know, Jaron Christian's pretty good at pass protection. He made two key blocks in the open field. Um, he made the key block that sprung your know, brand cooks on the game clinching touchdown, a block that only he and Robert Johnson can make that Larry Tunsil could never make. And like he was partly one of the reasons why they won that game. And he was good against Josh Allen last week too. And he's been, you know, good pass protecting left tackle. Um, and keeping him there and putting Howard at left guard, you know, was the best option to win that game win that game, even if it necessarily wasn't for like if you long term of the team, if you want to see Tyus Howard get more reps, but I made it made sense why they did it last week though. The second question is, how much would the Texans have to pay you to attend a game? Well, fortunately for me, I was uh, able to be gifted some tickets for Week 18 Texans Titans and by our good friend Tim. And so we're going to go to the game the other Week 18. I'm going to take the old lady and the little baby, and we're going to go to a, a 7,000 crowd stadium. Um, and I'll be able to have the chance to get my first Texans game since like 2009 against the Jaguars when. Chris Brown was signed to be a red zone back who fumbled into the red zone. They lost that game because of it on their like game winning drive attempt or game tying drive attempt. And uh, so that's my first chance to go to a game since then. Like I want to go the past few years and then COVID happened last year. And then Jadavion Clan was traded the year before. I didn't want to go at all after that and spend all that money to go watch, you know, this team who you did a bunch of things that I didn't like very much and were upset about. So I'm excited to go finally and be able to you know, meet some people I've talked to before on the internet and meet them in person and be able to watch a really bad Texans game in empty crowd. So they wouldn't have to pay me at all to go to a Texans game. They would just have to let me in for free, which is kind of happening now, even though I have to eat the opportunity cost of driving and paying for gas and everything else. But it should be a fun weekend and a good way to start um, this upcoming year. His third question is, if Easterby is such a godly man, why is he on the sidelines constantly in seven church? I, I don't know. You know, maybe he chose the Sabbath to be Saturday to make up for football on Sunday. Maybe he goes at eight o'clock in the morning. Maybe he, uh, maybe he has his own service and he doesn't actually need to attend service because he gives his own service to the team on Sunday. And I think that's probably it. But yeah, he shouldn't be out there at all. It's the Sabbath. He should be at home resting. He should uh, making be making sure he doesn't wear any slippers at all or lamb's wool. He should be following you know all the coordinates of about the Old and New Testament instead of on the sideline, you know, holding on, healing, you know, Kay McGregor Hill's knee to prevent that ACL tear like he did. And so his last question here is, does Cal McNair care? Like, I, I know that's been, you know, kind of one of the things talked about on the website that Cal McNair, Cal McNair doesn't care at all. Um, but he, 
that, but I think he does. Like, I don't think it's a care thing for McNair. I just think he's just kind of like, you know, an oaf, you know? I just don't, I just don't, I think he's been enraptured by, you know, whatever is this idea of culture that they have. He's gone along with it. This is what he thinks is the best course to build the team. Um, Easterby, you know, with his function and ability and entrenchment in the team, was able to hire the general manager. He hired Casario, which made sure that he's able to stay here long term without any worry about his job at all. And we'll see how Casario does. Like if Casario does well, it doesn't matter about Easterby at all whatsoever. And so with with McNair though, it's like he pays money. He wants the team to be good. I just don't think he has like I think he's a limited ability to actually run the football team. And like with an owner, you don't want to know about him. You don't want to care about him. You don't want to see him. You just want him to write the checks and then be quiet after that. And so there's been a little bit too much Cal McNair over the last two years. Um, but hopefully Casario's good, and hopefully Casario can make this football team good. And then a lot of the off-field stuff that we cared about, you know, last year, two years ago, three years ago, um, kind of dissipates, you know, from that. But you know, it still is up to Casario actually being a good general manager, running a good football team. But I, I do think Cal McNair cares. It's just his like ability to actually like run a football team may not be there at all, which is kind of a problem, you know, and hopefully he can get the right people in the room if this thing doesn't work out to be able to, you know, let them guide him, let him do the easy part so they can run the football team and make a good one. Because that's all we really kind of want at the end of the day. We want to have a good, a fun, an enjoyable football team that we like. And the Texans, I think, were fine with Watson. Um, They were fine with O'Brien, but they weren't necessarily fun. They were limited by O'Brien. There is a better football team out there. There is a Super Bowl caliber team out there of the talent that they had, but they were limited by O'Brien that didn't occur, which kind of made the team you know less fun because you knew that there is a better you know reality out there where they're a much better team. And then this year, this version of of the Texans is just like you know it's the rebuild after O'Brien's rubble where they have to have new young talent, find good players, which is kind of all that matters at the end of the day. The Casario needs to do is get good players here. And uh, it may take a little while until the thing that we want to have happen, you know, finally happens. So, ho, ho, ho. That's our Christmas miracle mailbag episode. Thank you, everybody, for the questions. If you have any questions about the Texans or football in general, you can send me a message at Matt, double underscore West on Twitter, or email mbw987 at gmail.com. And I'm, I'll, I'll be here. I'll send you an email back. I'll answer whatever questions you have. And Hopefully, we can do another mailbag in a week or two, maybe before the postseason happens. Um, but the mailbag's always open. We're always here for you. So until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bowerhead Radio, and thank you for all your questions today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.